Welcome to the Manager Tools Podcast for Wednesday. Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday, January 18th, 2006. Hello, this is Michael Lozan, and welcome back to Manager Tools. Today, Mark Horseman and I will be talking about management communications. Now, this week we recurred a theme we started a while ago, management communications. Now, if you don't remember, we won't be surprised. It was back in September, and we barely scratched the surface of presenting with PowerPoint. Uh, there are so many topics to cover, we're just now getting back to management communications. So, while we are going to talk about communications this week, we're going to discuss a topic that most of you give almost no thought to, communication plans. Now, what do we mean by communication plans? What we mean is, how do you as a manager intend to have your organization understand your team's plans, strategies, and operations? Now, if you immediately jump to email and meetings, you're not thinking effectively. Have you ever even thought about having a plan or process for thinking about how to communicate with your team? Here's what we bet. We bet that you communicate on autopilot. If you don't think at all about how to communicate, you think about what you're going to communicate, and then use the most basic defaults to get your message across. In fact, we would argue that you never think about communicating other than presentations with PowerPoint. You don't think about communicating, you just do communicating. The problem with that is, if you don't ever think about it, you will never get better. Now, how do you know if you're on autopilot? Let's say you want everyone on your team to know something. If you think pretty quickly, email, well, you're on autopilot. If you say, well, wait, if I have a meeting coming up, I might put it on the agenda. Well, you're, you're still on autopilot. If, on the other hand, you have something to tell an individual, whether it comes from your boss or not, you think one-on-one -on -one, or poke your head into their cube, you're on autopilot. Now, look, we're not saying these defaults don't work pretty well most of the time. They do, but they're too dangerous with them. First, if something unique or special requires communicating and you're operating on autopilot without even a hint of being most effective in your communications, you run the risk of the way you're communicating affecting the quality of your message. Putting in a systems language, your poor process is affecting your content. What today's cast about is the process of communicating versus the content. Now, the second danger is that if you don't think about communications as a process, your ability to communicate as you gain managerial responsibilities will break down. If you just take communicating for granted, when you become a director or a junior vice president and now have to rely on managers and others to carry your message to your entire organization, you will not be able to do it. You've got to have more tricks in your bag as you climb the org structure. The inability to communicate is one of the biggest frustrations of senior executives we know. They often describe their jobs as swimming or running an oatmeal because it takes so long to get the word out, and then people still don't get it. Well, after today's show, you'll get it just a little bit better. You know, Mark, Manager Tools is a kind of a how-to uh, practical show, yet you're telling me that uh, we have to cover some theory in the beginning of this, so why don't you... Uh, Go ahead and take us down that unfortunate path. Yeah, Mike, unfortunately, uh, for just a minute here in the beginning, we need to talk about theory. Um, and luckily, we can tell you how wrong the theory is before we get into the how-to. Um, the reason we talk about the theory is if you do some basic research about communications, um, business communications, managerial communications, or so on, you'll discover a dirty little secret. Um, that is that all the models that talk about communication say that there are three components, the message, the medium, and the receiver. Uh, it seems pretty simple. You know, what, what do you want to say? How do you want to say it? Who do you want to say it to? Um, I got it. Okay. 
Now, what's frustrating about this is that it's clear that that is what amounts to a conversational theory, and it really is basically probably a bunch of sociologists or communications theorists, uh, PhDs, saying, oh, well, of course, you know, people communicate in companies, so it's going to be just like that in companies, but it's just wrong. Um, and if you did a Google search on organizational communications, you discover that model out there. There's no question about it. But it's wrong. It, it doesn't take into account the fact that organizational communications are different than day-to-day communications. There are two parts of the model that apply, that you have to have in an organizational communications model that they leave out completely. And the two of them are sender, because the sender is critical, obviously, and also frequency. There's no implication in here that you might choose to repeat a message over and over and over again uh, in order to make sure it gets across. Um, When we talk about sender, the fact is in an organization, we've got to consider whose message is being communicated. Um, If you're acting as a conduit, you have to communicate differently than if you're delivering your own message. Um, and, and if you don't think about how often you're going to communicate something, um, the, the implication is that your message gets in, gets through on the first try, which in my experience is just not so. As, as I think Mike alluded to in the introduction about Horseman's Law, you know, say something seven times, half your people will say they heard it once. Um, the fact is frequency is important because everybody's just too busy. Um, and, and the common organization or the common communications model lacks this component because it's so theoretical rather than practical. Um, there's too much noise in the organization to get your message through. There's too much email, too much voicemail, too much everything else. People are bombarded. Um, if you think your message ought to get through just because you're the boss, ask yourself how much of what your senior management says that you seriously pay attention to. And there's the proof right there that your people are not listening to you as much as you'd like anyway. Um, so, uh, like I said, frequency is so important, I've got a horseman's law for it. Say something seven times, and half your people will tell you they've heard it once. Um, I've actually seen that work in organizations. People say, no, 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 he hasn't said it seven times. He, heard, he said it one time. They never, ever heard the other six. Um, and Churchill said this really, really well. He says, if you have an important point to make, don't try to be subtle or clever. Use a pile driver. Hit the point once. Then come back and hit it again. Then hit it a third time. A tremendous whack. Um, okay, so a- enough theory. Our model has five components now. Sender, message, medium, receiver, and frequency. Basically, effective managers consider each of these five components briefly when they communicate. And they choose the right combination of them to make sure they're communicating as opposed to, as Peter Drucker would just would say, just uttering. Okay, we're going to take a look at all five of the components, and again, we had to go over the theory because you had to have, you had to understand where the, the components come from, uh, and recommend ways you can use each of them in your communications. Some of what we're going to suggest in this podcast is going to be pretty simple, uh, and you you guys already do it, and that's great. Um, but some of it um, you don't do. Well, Mark, I think a lot of managers use multiple types of communication, and uh, think a little bit about who they're communicating to. Mike, you're absolutely right. I think a lot of our managers are doing a lot of things right. Um, I, I think just like me and you, they have bad habits um, as well as good habits. Uh, I, I think what happens, though, is when it works, it's because they've chosen a way to communicate without really thinking about a larger context. It works to a degree by chance. 
Um, it's possible as a manager, you don't even understand why what you're doing actually works. Now, what, what you're doing may be fine for now, but here's the key part of this podcast. As your responsibilities grow, as there are more and more people between you and the person you ultimately want to get your message out to, the how of your communications is going to become more and more important. And if you don't know the how other than, well, I'll just send an email or I'll just leave a voicemail, if you do it by rote or, or by, by habit, um, by default, if you will, you're going to be less effective when you need to come up with a plan for how to get a change initiative across, for instance. So, Mark, let's get to it. Let's talk about the different components of the communication model, at least as we define it. And I, I think the first one is sender. In our view of communications theory, particularly for organizations, we feel strongly about the sender because in an organization, you may just be simply the person passing the message through and not the originator of the message. You're right, Mike. Uh, number one is sender. Um, and I have a saying I use. One of the first rules of managerial communication is that managers are rarely communicated to. They're actually communicated through. Unless you're the CEO, literally at the top of the organization, or unless you're a non-manager and at the bottom of the organization, you're somewhere in the middle. You're in the chain of command, as it were. Um, you're going to be asked to carry the water for the organization by passing message through yourself down to your team of directs, and of course, depending upon how high you are in the organization, perhaps much further down the organization as well. This is a, in my in my opinion, a much underappreciated, poorly done part, Mike, of most managers' roles. Um, if you want a competitive advantage that your boss will notice, take the time to consider your role in communicating the chain of commands messages. Think carefully about it, consider these suggestions we have, and you will immediately get a tighter alignment with what the organization wants your team to do, and it will be noticed by your boss. Um, you know, it's funny. Um, this is just a reminder yet again that one of the rules of management is it isn't necessarily all about you. In this particular case, when, when you're not the originator, you may be the sender of the message to your team, but you're not the originate, original sender or originator. Um, this is really not about you. You can, you can make things good or bad, but it's not about you. It's about your boss or his or her boss. Uh, and obviously the recipients, your team and those people who report to them and so on and so on. Um, and if you haven't figured out yet about management that it's not about you, you haven't been listening to our podcast for very long. Um, so what this means when you think about the sender as part of uh, your efforts, um, you must consider whose message you're communicating. Um, uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of times when you are the sender and this step becomes pretty straightforward. Um, but again, if you skip this step, if you by default assume I don't have to think about the sender, you miss an important touch point when you're not the sender. So if you're not the original sender, here are some key points to consider. Number one, you must reinforce the sender's point. When you reinforce it, you don't just repeat what they said. You don't just forward the email. You help people who are hearing the message from you by adding your supportive point of view to the message. A great phrase to use in this case, whether email, voicemail, or face-to-face, or -face, a great phrase to use is, here's what I think this means for us or for you. You don't have to always use that phrase, but too many managers never do it. They don't ever reinforce the point that the sender has. They simply forward things along. 
Um, and, and it may very well be that your team got a broadcast email at the same time you did. In other words, you were just another employee getting a message from the CEO. That doesn't mean you can't take the opportunity to reinforce the sender's point, whether it's your boss or seven layers up in the organization. You're much more likely to be better off if you add your perspective, particularly if a if a vice president is communicating to a 2,000-person organization, the idea that she can uh, make a message so specific to everybody that everybody will understand what it means to them, pretty slim. Second point, and, and this is a one that I see violated quite a bit, it is absolutely unconscionable and unprofessional to disagree. Well, anybody who knows us knows that um, both you and I spent some time in the military, and actually it's our that's where we met. Um, but clearly in, in the military, there was pretty clear that the worst thing one could do would be to disagree with your boss in public in a way that uh, might uh, suggest that there was uh, lack of um, common goals and interest in the chain of command. You're exactly right, Mike. If you've ever said... If you're a manager out there and you're listening and you ever said, well, the boss or, or they, the, the great they, they want us to do this thing. Yeah, you know, I'm not so sure it's the smartest thing in the world. And I'm not sure it's going to work, but we're going to go ahead. That is in any professional managerial, from any professional managerial point of view, a gross lack of judgment. And quite frankly, if I were a director and you were a manager or a senior manager working for me and I heard you do that, um, I would very politely call you into my office and I'd give you some feedback and it would go like this. Hey, may I give you some feedback? When you communicate a message for me and you disagree with it in front of your team, here's what happens. You dilute my message. Um, you make your team wonder who they're supposed to follow, you or me. Um, you essentially commit a managerial sin saying you're more important than the organization and you embarrass yourself in front of me and as well, you irritate me. What can you do differently next time? I might even add, if I heard it a second or a third time, I might even say, and you make me think that I need to come down there and do your job for you, which means you're unnecessary and I can save your salary by the end of the year. Um, I might say that with a little bit of a smile, but I might not, depending upon how egregious the mistake is. So, if you're the, if you're not the original sender, you must not only reinforce the sender's point, but it is unprofessional to disagree, even, even privately to someone. The third thing we recommend you do is to translate. It's not enough just to reinforce. You should actually translate. Add your perspective, um, translating it into specifics for your team. Um, for instance, um, provide examples. If the sender wants action or behavior change, which, by the way, they all do, um, you can set an example by saying, here's what I'm going to do based on what I'm reading here. Um, or, if you're, obviously, if you're briefing in a meeting, here's what I'm going to do differently based on this message. Um, another great point you can make, here's what I think you should be doing differently. This is a little different message than here's what I think this means. And I think both of those, here's what I think this means, and here's what I think you can do, are both powerful ways to strengthen managerial communications by thinking of yourself differently as not necessarily the sender, but as definitely a conduit. The last sort of formal part of the sender part of this, uh, com- the sender component of this uh, um, practice, uh, managerial communications practice, is to test and validate afterwards that the message got through for your boss. So when your boss or somebody above him or her asks what's going on or, you know, what was the response, you can tell them. 
And it, you, you cannot simply say, hey, I hope that message got through. That's not testing. That's not validation. You ask your team, either in the form of an email or in the, you know, in one-on-one or in the start of a meeting, what do you think the boss means here? Or go a step further and say, give me an example now of what you're going to change based on the example that I gave you. Okay? Or if I gave an example that was related to something you might change, can you give me another thing that you might change? This may be too detailed, um, but give me an example of what you're going to change. It's a very powerful way to validate, not just that they heard the message, but they understood it and can comply with the message. What's interesting about that word comply is that Peter Drucker will tell us that virtually all management communications create demands. That's what communication does. Because management communications do create demands, you're going to want to be, give, be giving your team guidance about what those demands are and make sure your team does the right or best or, if nothing else, the least painful thing in terms of their compliance. Now, there's a, a fifth thing that you can think about when it comes to Cinder, which I find a very powerful tool, and it's actually fairly clever. Um, and, and that is to a- ask yourself this simple question. Am I the most effective sender of this message? Now, we've stepped away from you being a conduit now, and now we're actually saying you've got a point you want to get across to your team. And the first question you should ask, if it's just you communicating, is am I the most effective sender of this message? Could you not ask someone else on your team, even one of your directs, one of the one of your team's peers, if you will, could you not ask them to be the person that delivers a particular message. This does several things. It teaches you how to communicate through others, even if you're a frontline manager and so you don't have a manager reporting to you with a team of directs beneath him or her. Um, so it teaches you how to communicate through others even when you may not have to. Okay. Um, and remember something. The CEO could avoid you every single time and just send out lots of broadcast emails. They don't do that. They communicate through the chain of command. And hopefully you're getting messages that are having value added as it goes down the chain. It's hard enough to get it through the chain and ought to have some value added along the way. Um, and not only does that, it helps you assess the communication skills, the development, and maybe even the development potential of members of your team. If nothing else, it may make for a lot less busy work for you if there's homework or something to be done to learn more about a particular issue. Maybe once the team hears something, you know there are going to be four or five questions, and so you're going to send this person out to get the answers to those questions. If you send somebody out out to get data for you, why don't you, if they're the one doing the research, why don't you let them communicate the message? The great thing about that is not only do you not have to do the homework, but the questions won't come back to you initially either. Well, they might come to you, but you can make the new sender the person responsible for this issue, not just for communicating it. They could become the expert on it, and they're certainly going to know a lot more about it than you if you ask them to communicate about it. So those are the things that we recommend you think about and do when it comes to managerial communications, thinking about your role as sender or, as I've used the word before, conduit. Okay, Mark, uh, the next part of the model is the message. And we actually don't have a lot to say about that. Uh, Why is that? Yeah, Mike, you're absolutely right. We don't have a great deal of, of guidance on message because it's so content dependent. And there are so many different messages. This is one of those podcasts that really is a kickoff for a number of future podcasts where we're going to talk in detail about the different types of messages uh, and so on. Um, e- even one-on-ones is a form of managerial communication. Annual reviews are a form of managerial communications. So those are ones that obviously we've spent a great deal of time on. 
Um, we don't have time to go into every single detail here of all the possible messages you can send, but we want to cover two key points. Um, one that's sort of structural and another one that gets missed all the time. And the first structural comment we have is something that is a cardinal sin of most managerial communications, and that is please, dear listeners, bottom line up front. The Marines call this bluff, B-L-U-F, bottom line up front. Um, this may be one of the two or three most important concepts we share in this session. Whatever you do, folks, whatever message you have, whether you're sending it by phone or by voicemail or by webcast or by email or face-to-face or in a meeting or on a bulletin board, decide what the key points are of that message. Put them right at the top, up front, in the first paragraph, on the first slide, whatever. Even if you've got some great story to tell and you've gone out to these websites that are sort of anti-PowerPoint and you're going to use a real Zen-like slide that's full of evocative photographs and, you know, you, boy, it's just going to be this brilliant story that builds to a crescendo and makes everybody see your point and be persuasive and get them to buy into your project. Regardless, tell us where you're going at the beginning. We're going to get you to recommend X or you're going to agree to spend budget Y. This is one of the core secrets of great communicators. Whatever you do, the most important thing you intend to say in an email should be in the first paragraph. When you, when, when it's your turn to talk in a meeting, whatever you do, don't say, I want to give you a little background because unless people know what you're trying to tell them, the background, they don't know how to process the background. Okay? So, this is absolutely one of the key things that makes for great communicators. Um, so, right up front, bottom line up front. Whatever your message is, whatever your medium is, whoever the recipient is, whether you're the sender or not, bam, right up front. Hit them in the head with it. Uh, that's great. Uh, we said we're going to keep the message uh, part short, uh, but anything else there? This is something that is a little bit countercultural. You'll find that some of you will have sort of recoil at this recommendation. Um, and I have found it to be so helpful in my career. I, I use it routinely. It's, it's part of my mantra when I think about, okay, how do I want to get something across in terms of one of my messages? And that is be comfortable addressing how the receiver will feel. The fact is communication is an emotional event. Your people are going to feel something good, bad, or indifferent about every communication they get. Some of them are just too much. Some of them are, they did it to me again. Some of them are great, whatever the case. But if you don't address messages, um, if you send out a message that, has, that engenders negative emotions, and then you don't address those emotions, you're implying that their emotions are not real or that they shouldn't feel anything at all. And, and then you've got a double whammy. They feel negative, and then you've implied that they should feel bad for feeling negative. Um, it's okay to say to your folks, I understand this may make you feel this way. And this ties in very well with thinking about, okay, what can you, can you translate? Can you support the message that comes from someone else? Um, or can you support or translate the message that comes from you? Uh, addressing how people feel is a good way to increase the chances you're going to get feedback and increase the chances that you're going to get behavior change, which so often is what managerial communications are all about, is behavior change. Okay, So it's okay to say, I understand you may be feeling this way. Here's what I recommend regarding that. And we'll talk more about how to address that in a little bit. 
Okay, so those are the two points we have on message. Again, there are a lot of different types of messages. We can go into a great deal more detail about different messages, and we will in future podcasts. So we've talked about the sender. Um, we've talked about the message. So guys, now we're going to talk about um, how we're going to get it out, which would be the medium. Just to be clear, Mike, when we talk about media, we generally think of face-to-face, phone, email, voicemail. And voicemail, by the way, folks, is definitely different than phone. Paper documents, meetings, teleconference, video conference. There are some more ways that you can communicate. Instant message is another one um, that I should have listed up there. But those are the most popular ones. Um, and, and let me just make a, a, a very important point here. Most of you use your email way too damn much. Email is helpful, but it ought not to be the primary or even secondary, and in some cases, maybe not even the tertiary choice for many issues you're going to be communicating. Here are our suggestions for choosing your media well. The simple, the one that hopefully you know is coming, that this is the point that I want to hit with a tremendous whack because I've done it three times. Face-to-face communication is the best way to change your team's behavior. The best way to start start the process of changing other people's efforts um, is to deliver it face-to-face, either narrow casting in a one-on-one or broadcasting in a meeting where they where you can put all the possible facial expressions and body language and verbal tonations and so on into your message and where you can answer questions real time. We don't we don't have time to tell you all the subtle criteria to suggest which one should be which messages should be narrow cast or broadcast, but we'll come back to the concept of combining those in just a few minutes. But if you consider face-to-face as your primary method of communication, you're going to get better results. And when we say primary, we mean simply this. You should assume that everything you're going to tell your team must go through face-to-face until there's a compelling reason not to. And you might say to yourself, well, gosh, no, I can't do that. I've got all these emails. You're using email too much. You're using email too much. Yeah, Mike and I get all kinds of email. We get email, of course, from listeners, and we get email from clients and so on. Um, and the fact is, email can be helpful. But if you're on a team and that team is co-located with you, face-to-face is the way to go. On the other hand, for those of you who are on virtual teams, do not assume that email should become your primary form of communication. You should be using phone. Again, because voice is a much more powerful media than text to get uh, emotions across. Mike and I, in fact, have hundreds of stories of he and I miscommunicating, even though we're quite good at email because we kid each other and then one of us takes it the wrong way and we get frustrated about all the work we've got to get done. So face-to-face is the primary method of communication for effective managers. Um, now, if something needs to get out that can't wait... And you think face to face is a good idea, but you don't want to wait to one on ones later in the week. Um, and you don't want to wait to shift meeting until Thursday, uh, weekly, weekly staff meeting. Um, schedule a five minute, call a five minute end of shift meeting for that one topic. Don't do it in your office. Do it out in the hallway so people don't get too comfortable and want to sit around and have a half hour conversation, but cover that one topic, everybody together in five minutes and then send everybody home. So, face-to-face is the best, and should be your primary, it should be your first default choice, not email. 
The second thing, and this may be the most misunderstood, most underused managerial communication te- technique we know of, and it may be the smartest, the best thing we tell you in this podcast. Please, folks, use multiple media to reach different people multiple times for the important stuff that you want to get across. If you have an important point to make about your team's operational practices, about the company's new strategy, a key process change, whatever, if, if it's going to affect people noticeably, use multiple media. Use a face-to-face, follow it up with an email, then follow up by talking about it in a meeting, post it on a bulletin board, okay? Then readdress it again in your next week one-on-ones, then send an email, um, when you're delivering it, you're going to get feedback at every step of the way, and so you can add to the next um, um, type of media you use. You can add uh, additional comments based on the questions you get when you first deliver the message. I find that asking or the delivering something face to face in the meeting, it gets the team talking. Then I reinforce it in a one on one, and I might send out an email as well. That way, I've given three different vehicles for different types of people to respond to me, so I can understand how likely they are to address the change and whether or not behavior is going to be easily changed or more difficultly changed, and whether or not I need to do something additional to make sure it happens. If it's important, keep coming back to it. And if it's critical, start every meeting with this topic for the next three to four to five weeks. Um, now, we're not covering all the subtleties of meetings here in this one podcast, um, but try to remember this. The third message in a meeting does not get heard. If you're the boss and you're having a meeting and you've got your 15 minutes in the, on the agenda and you have seven things to, sh- to share with your folks, only the first two get heard. Everything after the second one doesn't get heard. People are still processing the first two if they're the most important. If you're giving a laundry list, don't do it verbally. You're wasting everybody's time. Take time to develop the first two in detail and then put the rest out in some other format. Or delay them a week if it's not critical that they know it right now. Um, now, I, Mike, I actually know of one manager whose company doesn't broadcast to employees, only to managers. Um, it's almost as if employees don't have email. They do. Um, this one manager puts together a weekly abbreviated digest of all the mails she's supposed to be passing along. And then she adds her comments to each of the um, uh, the mails and, and uh, messages that she gets in the form of email or voicemail. Her team loves it, um, and she even set, helped them set up the email filtering and outlook so that they it all goes into the the digest folder. Um, and uh, she takes a particular email and she cuts it down a little bit and then puts her comments on it. Says, "Hey, if you want more, you can click on this, and it'll take you to the place where you can read it in more detail." Um, and, and essentially what she does is she reorders everything based on the importance for the team. Uh, how many times do you get a CC from the, the postmaster that, and everybody suggests this is a really important message? There's nothing wrong. I'm not, not suggesting we go against the chain of command, but if you're getting a message that everybody, it's going out to everybody and people are going to wonder what the heck it means, it's okay to say, this doesn't apply to us. There's nothing here that needs to change. We're fine. We're compliant. Whatever. You know, something from a postmaster in an email situation is different than if it's coming from your boss. Okay. And Mike, one final thought on media. Um, and, and, and we're going to have a whole podcast just on these two subjects. Smart managers, the best, most effective managers I know, have regular lunches with subsets of their organization, 
scheduled and scripted. They've usually got some brief remarks. Um, you know, maybe it's an hour long lunch and they talk for 10 minutes and then they follow with Q and A. And it may very well be you talk about the kids and soccer and the start of the, you know, the NFL playoffs. Um, but generally people will bring it back to work. Okay. That's, that's with direct reports in many cases. Okay. Really effective managers, if they're a couple of levels up, schedule regular skip levels. And I generally managers try to do them once a month. Some do them as often as every two weeks. And it's a lunch or a coffee or a breakfast or something like that where they bring in donuts or something. Nothing terribly fancy, nothing expensive. We want to be frugal here. They schedule skip levels. And what a skip level is, as you know, Mike, you're famous for them, um, is you don't invite your directs. You invite people one level down from your directs. You're not trying to cut the directs out of the, the picture, you're just trying to get a different sense of how the organization is doing. And you, you're checking to make sure that your messages are getting through. And by the way, folks, they're not getting through because so many of your directs think of themselves as being communicated to rather than communicated through. Yeah, Mark, that's that's great. I, I found that skip levels worked really, really well for me. I used to do them at uh, breakfast when it was, we could do a pretty nice breakfast and it wasn't terribly expensive. Uh, people are fresh for the day. The chances of people getting pulled out for various things out of the uh, the breakfast with me was would happen very very seldom. Um, so that worked really really well. So we've talked about the uh, the sender, the the message, the the medium, and I guess next uh, on our list to talk about is the receiver. You know, when I think about the receiver piece of it, I think about a couple things. One is um, I found that considering all the various stakeholders to be very important. It's amazing to me the number of uh, communications that people put out, and they really don't consider all the stakeholders. You know, they may consider their uh, subordinates, but they don't think about their peers, for example, how their peers are going to be affected by one of their communications. Closely related is, I think a lot of people forget to, it's kind of the, the touchy-feely stuff that I frankly try to shy away from, but you know, I think one key thing is to think about how the receiver might feel about the particular message. Um, you know, we wish the uh, business environment and organizations were emotionless, but they they are not. So considering how people feel is pretty important. The, the other one I'd like you to comment on, Mark, is um, behavior profiles and, and how they can be effective in um, helping you craft a message uh, based upon a particular person's uh, behavioral profile. Yeah, Mike, you're absolutely right. One of the things that made you a very good manager was that you considered all the stakeholders involved. And and when we talk about managerial communications, we're not just talking about communicating to your team. We're talking about making sure the right people know what they need to know. That's what good communication is about. Do the right people know what they need to know? Well, you may very well have stakeholders that are outside of your purview. They're peers of yours or people matrix to your, to your boss, for instance, or people in another part of the organization who support your team. Um, you'll do well to think of your peers being copied on a message. Um, that's a very powerful thing. Um, you can also copy a, another department. Hey, fellow manager, thought you'd want to know how I interpreted this new change. Happy to chat further. Com- communicating Mike to a few extra people won't hurt a thing. Now, look, they're not going to get your message, but they'll respect your openness and they'll really appreciate the fact that you're including them. Because, quite frankly, if you don't include them, they'll assume that you are specifically excluding them. 
So I started off by saying they won't get your message. Don't complain at people when you've sent them an email and then they call you and say, you know, I've been getting these emails. What really is going on there? If you pop off with, well, that's why I'm sending the emails. You should read them. You haven't helped the relationship at all. So when they say, I'm sorry, I haven't read them and say, hey, no problem. I just wanted a background noise for you, but I wanted you to know, feel free to call me. And that's why we're talking now. Let me give you a little bit more detail about where we are. Essentially, what you're doing is outreach, and the chance that they will read your message, understand it, follow, comply, and so on. If you don't follow up by voicemail or in person or over the phone, the chances are not that great that they're going to respond in a way, unless you're very clear that you're asking them to obligate themselves in some way. So they don't necessarily read your mails, but you still have to send them. Considering all stakeholders, Mike, it's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, we've already talked about addressing how the receiver might feel. Um here, we're saying that as you get to know your team better, you'll know um, who will be listening or hearing messages in certain ways, and smart mass managers um, combine a broadcast message, they use meeting or mail or voicemail, and they cover the key points of something, and then they'll follow up with a more tailored message that has specific meaning to a particular individual based on their style and their background and so on. And that, that happens in face-to-face in what we call narrowcast. So it's the broadcast at first and then following up with the narrowcast. Hey, Mike, you, for instance, it might sound like, hey, Mike, here's what I think this new process means for you that I didn't really share with the whole team because I thought this was particularly focused on, on you and your background. Uh, it may, may be something like, I suspect it bothers you that you weren't consulting and I was, uh, you weren't consulted. I respect that. I understand. You know, I can see how you might feel this way. Um, and by the way, this is a good chance for us to remind everybody to use the great sales technique called feel felt found which is you might be feeling this way i've felt that way before when i've been in your shoes and what i have found is and that gives a chance to give them a different way of thinking about the situation that they're in lastly um you're right mike um we are going to spend a great deal of time at some point in the future um, talking about the power of behavioral profile instruments to truly be effective. The fact is different people hear messages different ways. If you want to get my attention, you're probably going to have to raise your eyebrows, smile a lot, and engage me. Other people simply want the facts. They want monotone. Uh, they want data in advance, and they want spreadsheets and so on. The joke that I always tell people is, don't bother sending me attachments. I never open them. I'll never forget talking to the executive who says, Mark, those little blue things at the bottom of the emails with a W on them, are those what you mean when you say attachments? He literally didn't know that there were Word documents attached to every email that was going out as meeting minutes. Um, yeah, there are people that never open them. Um, and if you don't know that and you expect people to open your, your documents that are attached and they're not doing it, you can get frustrated all you want. You can, you can force them to comply, but you ought to know who is and who isn't so that you can tailor your message. Uh, it'll make you a more effective manager. Well, I, I think we're getting toward the end here. We have uh, the last one thing we are talking about is uh, frequency. You're right, Mike. The last topic um, on our uh, in our theory, in our, com- our last component, if you will, in our theory is frequency. And really, this is the big lesson for so many managers. Um, you must repeat key messages over and over and over again. It's the only way that your important messages are going to get through. Some messages you only have to say once, and you send it out in an email, and you don't spend any more time on it at all. 
Other messages you do face-to-face, you follow up with a meeting, you follow up with a voicemail, you follow up with an email, and so on. Now, if, if you don't know what your key messages are, well, ouch. Um, but for now, trust yourself. And we would add that it's probably not benefits or schedules. It's more the mission of your team and of the larger group you're in, uh, operational issues and goals and objectives. Um, and when it comes to frequency, the great managers that Mike and I know have a communication schedule. And we're actually going to post an example of one executive's planning for regular communications to support his mission on the web. It's a PowerPoint slide, and it's a combination of meetings and face-to-face and broadcast emails and and um, uh, dial-in uh, teleconferences and so on. And um, all these things are put together in slide presentations as well, going out on a defined schedule in order to support his change effort that he's going to be putting together, uh, that he's going to be rolling out in his organization. That, to us, is professional managerial excellence. He's saying, I know I've got to reach a lot of different people. I'm going to use a lot of different media. I'm going to repeat the message several times, and it's going to be frequent. And they may only hear it seven times. They may hear it seven times, but everybody in my organization is going to be able to say they've heard it at least once, thanks to Horseman's Law. So, Mike, that's really it. Uh, We've really skimmed the surface, but hopefully those simple things that managers can rather than communicating by default, can think about these things and and, in many cases check them right off and and, and end up with the same default, with the same uh, technique that they were going to use before, but now they're thinking more broadly. When they get promoted a couple of times, they'll know how executives think about communicating through the oatmeal of organizations. Great. That was uh, was awesome. I think this is a lot of good information. And uh, as usual, uh, we're (laughs) running a bit longer than we intended to so thanks everyone and um, mark we'll uh, we'll see you next week well thanks everyone for joining us uh, again today on manager tools and we hope to see you again next week um, as always we welcome feedback our email is show at manager-tools.com and be sure to uh, visit our website www.manager-tools.com and chime in on some of the discussions there you all have a great one and we'll see you all next week